a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. It's great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson. And as always, at the top of the show, it's time to go beyond the headlines. And we saw the headlines over the weekend focusing on Naomi Osaka and her sudden withdrawal from the French Open tennis tournament at Roland Garros. And that sent a shockwaves through the sports world. Uh, but more important, there's much more to it than just the headlines. It's time to think again. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Joining us to help us think again and think a little bit deeper about uh, critical issues like anxiety, angst, fear, frustration, depression. Uh, our good friend Jenny Howe is uh, on the line with us. And, and Jenny, you've had uh, experience with this in, in a lot of different ways in terms of your clients. Uh, we know you were also part of uh, an extraordinary film that uh, we followed and watched and highlighted around the state for a year, Angst, uh, that actually featured uh, Michael Phelps at a Olympian extraordinaire who also dealt with uh, anxiety and and depression. Uh, As you watch this unfold with uh, Naomi Osaka very bravely coming forward and saying, hey, this is not just about not wanting to do a press interview after losing a tennis match. Uh, This was much more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my, my first thought was, I mean, I think I got emotional when I read it, just thinking of how brave it was for her to to kind of step out of what we all do normally and, and just kind of perfectibly, you know, um, I don't know, we feel like I think we feel like we have to sometimes mask what we're feeling underneath mm-hmm. it. And so it's just knowing how young she is, it was incredibly brave, obviously still emotional for me to think about. So um, but, yeah, I think, you know, we as as perfectionists, as people with anxiety, as people with depression, um, really feel like we have to sometimes do things and say things that, you know, maybe our mental health just can't take that day. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's so important that we do have these role models. I, I have just uh, I thought it was very interesting. One, you you know, you immediately had some of the other tennis players say, hey, I I get it. I've been there. I, I understand how she feels. Uh, Bubba Watson, uh, great mm-hmm. golfer. Uh, I can imagine golfing mm-hmm. with that kind of anxiety and stress. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he, yeah. Talked, he talked about it in terms of he he took three different trips uh, to the hospital thinking he was having a heart attack uh, when he was really just having an anxiety attack. Um, but this creates yeah. space, I think, for a, a really deeper, more important conversation. Absolutely, because the mind and the body are connected. And these physical athletes who depend on their bodies for their livelihood every single day have, you know, devoted time and energy and sacrifice to, the, to their body strength. They're now really kind of coming out and saying, wow, you know what, my body doesn't perform if my mental health isn't also, you know, capable of performing. And I think 
you know, scientists is really catching up with this. And it's really fascinating to see each day kind of where we're going with this. But our, our brain really is in charge of our body. So we can train our body to the absolute maximum limits. And if we don't focus on what's happening inside our body, it's, it's not going to be helpful. <laughs> it's it's going to be worthless for us because that connection there is is crucial and valuable. And I think as, as we see athletes begin to really understand that about themselves and then go public with that, because I'm, I'm positive they've understood that about themselves underneath, you know, the cameras and the lenses and the reporting of it. But as we see more athletes, I think, go public about it, it gives us the opportunity to say, wow, you know, in our lives, you know, whether it's going to work or going to school or whatever we're doing, we too have to train our bodies and our minds together. There's, there's absolutely no disconnect. They work together. They're as one. And I think this is providing, hopefully, a conversation to that for everybody. You know, if it happens to an athlete, it's going to happen to us, you know, everyday Joe. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I especially want to get into how this impacts our teenagers, our young people. Uh, you and I have had this conversation before, and I, and I want to go back to because I think it's so – I think it's such a great moment to have this conversation because I know a lot of parents are – you know, we're, we're coming out of the pandemic. We've also just ended the school year. We're entering summer. And there's sort of that, as a parent, where's that balance point between, you know, the teenager who really is just exhausted or just being a teenager and being lazy <laughs> and, and the, and the yep. teenager who does need to process some things in, in terms of mental health? Yeah, you know, I think... I think it takes us having conversations with them to understand where that line is because teenagers are tricky. You know, they, they are in this identity development stage and, and their whole job is to kind of oppose everything we're doing. That's literally the, the brain's job at their stage of development. And so we have to create these moments to have the conversations and really feel out, Hey, you know, I've noticed you've been sleeping a lot. Do you feel like you've been sleeping a lot because you're really tired or do you feel like your brain is tired? You know, talk to me about where your intent is coming with the sleeping rather than just saying, hey, you're sleeping in too late. I'm going to cut that off. You need to get up and do it for at 9 a.m. You know, have a conversation that leads to what's happening underneath it first rather than jumping to the consequence. And your teenager is not going to shut off, right? Because the second you add a consequence to a conversation, they're done. The oppositional brain kicks in and they're going to jump into what they're supposed to do at that age, which is oppose you. So we need to really remember that the consequence is fine. We can have a consequence, but if we really want to talk to our teenager about these issues, about these tough mental health issues, we need to talk to them about intent and what's going on underneath first. Oh, that's such a... Uh... Where were you when I needed you, Jenny? <laughs> we're just getting, we're just pushing our last out. We're about to become empty nesters, and uh, this could have been really helpful. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, it could have been helpful for me too. Uh, I have my own college kid, and I didn't always practice it with. That's so I right. get it. Uh, it. In terms of those conversations, and again, I I do think you know having something like this that is very public, that's very big, where everybody kind of says, "Oh wow, wait a minute if mm -hmm. if they're if they're not okay, am I okay?" Uh, what are some of the other conversations or what are some of the other conversation starters that we ought to be using uh, as a result of this? Yeah, you know, I, I think this is such a great impetus in terms of a conversation and kind of asking interesting questions about it that are open ended. You know, I noticed this this player withdrew from the tennis tournament and then, you know, posted a tweet talking about how she was feeling depressed. Have you ever felt depressed? She's pretty young. You know, asking questions that increase curiosity rather than 
kind of accusing or telling your teenager what you're noticing about them. Again, that's going to, you know, kick into high gear their oppositional brain. So just noticing and opening curiosity. I mean, asking them if how they would describe depression. Um, As a therapist, that's something we do all the time. That's one of the tricks we use is getting people to describe the words that they're feeling because that gives us a lot more insight as to how it feels in that person's body. And then we can take that and kind of understand their patterns and maybe how that's impacting their actions. So getting your kids to talk about not just the emotional labels, but also how they would describe that feeling in their body. You know, maybe even saying something like, hey, have you ever felt like you wanted to quit something? You know, bridging the conversation into that curiosity, that open-ended question. Again, that's non-accusatory. Like, oh, I noticed you quit soccer. Did you feel like that? You know, that sounds really different than, (laughs) hey, have you ever felt like quitting something? Mm. Um, We take the accusation. We take the consequence out of it. We're going to gain so much more. From uh, our teenagers, and and we so want to consequence them. I get it. <laughs> I get it. I feel that way often, but we just won't get the understanding. We won't. We won't be able to have these conversations that are so crucial to their development. Yeah, Co- consequences are easy. Conversations are harder. I think that's the <laughs> super. Yeah, I think that's what I'm landing yes. today. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Hey, I want to sneak in one more thing, Jenny, before I let you go, um, and that is, you know, so many of these. Um, Things are high profile. These are high performing people. Uh, and we right. do have a lot of our young people, not just in athletics, but in music and academics and a host of other places um, where it's it's at, if nothing else, it's high pressure um, yeah. that they're experienced. I, I was uh, talking with Tim and Amanda earlier today and, and we talked about the fact that, uh, you know, I've, I've heard uh, have, in all my coaching days, uh, I've heard a lot of parents yell a lot of things at their kids that I wouldn't yeah. yell at my enemies. <laughs> I know. Um, it's so true. How do, how do we deal with this idea of high expectations and high opportunity kids uh, versus just creating this insane high pressure world uh, that I think often leads uh, for every for every great uh, athlete or great musician that comes out. I think there is just an army of broken uh, people who who probably spend the next Mm -hmm. 20 years rebuilding. Uh, How do Mm -hmm. we how do we avoid that trap? Yeah, that's that's a huge conversation. But I want to I want to point out a couple pieces of that. So perfectionism, I think, is kind of what I'm hearing you say, which is this this pressure that we put on ourselves or on our children or people we love to, to be high performing in whatever they're doing. And, you know, whether that's self-induced or outside induced, it's, it's just this desire to be perfect. And it's really important to kind of break down what perfectionism and pressure feels like. And, and that feels like fear to people. It's not just this desire to do something well, that that's a positive thing. We want to instill desires to do things well in our children, but when it's fear provoked, that's when it takes a turn, and that's when we see kids just up and quit, avoid things, or burn themselves out to the point where they never pick up their instrument again. Yeah. And so understanding that and maybe kind of unwrapping with your child um, what the feared outcome is, why they are putting so much pressure. Feared outcome is crucial to understanding perfectionism. So asking your child something like, hey, if you didn't perform your musical number well with your choir team, I think they're called a team, sorry, it is your choir, (laughs) (laughs) your choir group, um, how would you feel? What would you be afraid of? 
and pinning down what their specific feared outcome is. For some yeah. people, it's a fear of judgment. For some people, it's a fear of, you know, making a mistake, fear of failure. But trying to unwrap what the feared outcome would be is how we really get an understanding and how we learn not to place pressure on those fear spots for our kids. How to kind of navigate the, okay, I want them to do something well, but I don't want to put pressure on the fear. Because when we put pressure on the fear, that we're going to lose them. Yeah. Oh, great insight. We're going to have you back to break that down a little bit more. That is uh, that is a crucial conversation uh, that we need to keep going. But uh, Jenny Howe, always appreciate yeah. your perspective on this and uh, just some really great insight, uh, especially as we roll into the summer and as we try to understand our young people a little bit more and using a, an opportunity like this to, to uh, deepen mm-hmm. that conversation, like you say, unwrap and unpack a little bit uh, in terms of those crucial conversations. Yeah. Thank you for having me. All right. So to me, the real takeaway here, I I love this whole idea that consequences are easy. Conversations are harder. And as a parent, especially, it's easy to just jump to the consequences. But if you want to have a conversation, especially as it relates to mental health with your teenagers in particular, you have to have conversations. And that's a very different discussion. That's something that's worth thinking again about. With Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office to meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.